Okay. Well, let's jump into the book of Amos. Now, I don't know if you can see this or if it's necessary that you see this, but I just wrote out a few notes um, just to kind of think through some things. Um, Amos. We were in Amos chapter 3 last week. We're now moving into Amos chapter 4. But we have to remember that Amos is one of those prophecies, uh, again, very poetic, uh, very beautiful in its language. Um, But Amos is uh, continuing the judgment uh, here in uh, chapter 4 on the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, Here's something I want us to think about in, in, in Amos, not just in Amos, but all of the 12 minor prophets. There is a repetitive pattern, and we'll see this in all of the prophets, and you've probably already seen it in the, ones, in the books we've already looked at. Uh, there, there's a, a pattern of sin, judgment, restoration. Did you hear, you hear that? There's a three-step pattern that you will always find. The, the reason I emphasize that is because in the minor prophets especially, if you're not watching for this pattern, you may walk away thinking, well, God is an angry God. And God is angry because of sin, right? And so there is judgment that comes. God is just in his wrath, um, but always with his wrath and with his judgment comes restoration every single time. And that is the patterns that we find in the prophets. Correct? So if we're not looking for that restoration part, we're blind to the most crucial element of the prophecies. These are judgment prophecies. But judgment from God always comes with restoration. That's what makes our God so worthy of worship. See that? So if you ever talk with friends who say, I don't like the Bible because the Old Testament, God is angry. Well, they're missing the key part, the restoration part, right? And Amos will show us this. As we go through Amos, we'll get to that more and more. And it'll pop up in little nuggets. But by the time we get to chapters, uh, the latter chapters there, we will see that restoration really emphasized, okay? But right now, in chapter 4... We're continuing, really, the theme of chapter 3, in a way. Remember chapter 3? It was cause and effect. Here's what you have done, and this is leading to God's judgment. You remember chapter 3? Now chapter 4 really is kind of continuing the same cause and effect. Where chapter 3 was looking at Israel's sins, and remember the sins of, of the northern kingdom of Israel centered upon uh, not just ignorance of God's worship, but also oppression of the poor, okay? Really treating the, the impoverished and the low-class low citizens with injustice. That was their key sin, um, and that was going to lead to God's judgment. Chapter 4 continues this same argument, but it's cause and effect, but it's... Um, one second. It's that Israel is ignoring God's wake-up calls for repentance. And the ignorance of that causes the Assyrian invasion. God will send Assyria to bring them into captivity and to exile as the effect or the outcome of their sin by ignoring God's wake-up call. Has God ever gotten your attention in a way that you have to say, ooh, I'm wrong? Has anybody ever experienced that? The northern kingdom of Israel did not experience that because they chose not to experience that. That's what we're going to see in chapter 4. God will say, I did this and you missed it. I did this, and you ignored me. I did this, and you just brushed me off. Okay? And let's take a look here at this. Let's read chapter 4, okay? Um, Let's see. Let's read the first five verses, and then we'll take it in smaller chunks, okay? Um, Y'all can hear me okay? 
My voice is, tran is, is traveling that far? Okay. Chapter 4 of Amos, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Verse 4, come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. All right, so what's happening here? Here's the thing you've got to remember, too. What God is doing in the, the prophets, especially in the minor prophets here, uh, with Amos 2, um, there, he is really calling the northern kingdom of Israel and then also Judah to account for their covenant. Did God make a covenant with Israel? Many. All lined up into one, really, under the same thing. God chose Israel. Made a covenant with them. And they reciprocated by making a covenant with him. And what, is, what their sin is, is that they're breaking the covenant. And God is reminding them, I will never break my covenant. But I will hold you accountable for the covenant we've made. To be the chosen people, right? Israel is God's chosen people. This is where we get the, the first concept in the scriptures of the chosen people as the elect. God cho that's what to be the elect means. If you are the elect, you are chosen. And we get that idea initially in Scripture with God's choosing and calling of the nation of Israel. It's a biblical concept. But here, when you are chosen by God as His special people out of all the nations of the world, what does that mean? Are there benefits to being chosen and being God's precious people? Sure. What are some of the benefits? Life. What's that? Life. Life. Salvation. Salvation. What's that? Being adopted. Yeah, what else? What are some of the benefits? Protection. Protection. Yeah, God gives and provides for them the land of plenty. And then He protects them. Right? So, but here's something that we don't remember. As God's chosen, we think about the blessings. But also as God's chosen, we're also judged. See, we always forget that part. As God's chosen, we are in a special place of accountability and a special place of expectation. I think God has some expectations of those He chooses, doesn't He? those that are precious to Him. He has some expectations of us. We forget that part. We want the blessings of God. Protect us. Give us all we need. Love us. Give us salvation. But we think because we're God's special chosen, we avoid judgment and punishment. In Scripture, that's what we're going to see in the prophets. That's why... The, the minor prophets, these, these prophecies of judgment are so harsh because if Israel was not God's special loved people, He wouldn't judge them the way He is. You see that point? Now, does that give you a different perspective as a Christian? You have received salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has called you to repentance. He has loved you and He continues to love you as His special ones. And yes, it's a blessing. There are plenty of benefits to that. There are plenty of blessings to that. But then do we ignore and forget the fact that God will hold us more accountable and judge us through love, but also harsh love. 
that Paul's whole emphasis in Ephesians 1, 3 following, we have pre been predestined in Christ unto the adoption of sons, that we should be holy before yeah. Him. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, holy. Yeah. Did y'all hear that? Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, this is Paul's argument, that we are predestined to adoption as sons. Say that again. That we should be holy. To the praise of the glory of His grace. No, it's fine. It's fine. You see the point? So we are held to a higher standard of bringing God glory and being holy. So if when we fall from that, when we distance ourselves from that, there is judgment that comes. Because He loves us so much. So that we will continue to bring Him glory. Do we honestly forget that though? Now I think that's what the problem was with the northern kingdom of Israel. They ignored God's wake-up calls to repentance. And it's going to lead to an Assyrian captivity. That's what we're seeing here. Now let's look here in these first five verses. Um, look here in verse, uh, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. Who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. What kind of imagery comes to mind when you read that? <laughs> For being sexist? Sexist and... Insensitive? Sensitive. What is, what is a cow? What's, go ahead. A bunch of drunk, lazy women. A bunch of drunk, lazy women. Talk others down. Who talk about others and put them down. That's not a very nice image. This is Amos the prophet from Judah coming to the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's God's mouthpiece. And God is saying this through him. You cows of Bashan. Now, where have we heard that term before, cows of Bashan? We studied it before. Y'all remember? You remember which prophecy? Right? Um... It was in Hosea, right? And in Joel. Well, actually, in Joel we heard the, the term cow of Bashan, but the image of the fat, lazy, unloyal woman, we saw that also in Hosea, right? But in Joel's prophecy, he introduced this image of the cow of Bashan, and then Amos continues this, right? In Joel chapter 4, he talks about these rich women who oppress the poor, Right? Uh, in chapter 6 of Joel's prophecy, rich women at ease in Zion. Uh, and in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, these rich women who enjoy their luxurious beds, their lavish meals, their great music, and their fruitful wine. Right? Why is God using that image here in Amos? Right? Um, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. Um, really, verse 1 of chapter 4 is continuing the argument from the latter part of chapter 3. So let's go back up to verse 14 of chapter 3 and read that into verse 1. Well, actually, we can begin in verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear... So shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. You see the imagery of the greatness, the opulence, the extravagance. Then in verse 1, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, 
who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. He's condemning them. That's what's happening here. But notice how this begins in verse 1. Notice the phrase. Now, the King James probably says, hear ye, hear ye, or something like that. Hear this word. Has anybody ever had, somebody, ever had that spoken to you and got your attention? You better listen. Hear me. Right? Hear this word. In other words, pay attention. It's as if God is speaking further about how he knows the hearts and the minds of these lazy, rich now, the imagery is of women, but it's, it's used as an illustration of the entire nation, not just the women, okay? This is, again, when you're, when you're reading poetry, it's, it's not always that literal. Yeah? If you read Psalm 20, uh, 22. Psalm 22? It speaks, of, it speaks the same language, but it's of men. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, of laziness and of cows. Um, bulls. Okay, so the lazy bulls. Yeah. Wasn't um, I read this in a book a year ago? But Bashan was also known for um, lots of altars or idolatry, and as well as even carved images of bulls, sure. and calves, like golden calf. Yeah. So there's the horns, and that has to do with that too, doesn't it? Yes, and, and the reason for all the, of course, there's a lot of idolatry going on in the northern kingdom, and this region of Bashan would have had a lot of this as a as a homage to the, the the luxurious and plush fields of that area. That area of Bashan was known for the richness of the land. The cows there would have been happy cows. Okay. Right? I mean, y- y'all seen those commercials for ha- happy cows make happy cheese? Uh, California cows are happy cows? Tennessee cows? Not Tennessee cows. Tennessee cows are miserable. No, no? Tennessee cows are happy cows compared to the rest of them. So uh, Tennessee cows are happy cows? Oh, they are. Yeah. Compared to the ones up in Canada, Canada place. In the mud. <laughs> Travel a lot of states, but I haven't seen happier cows than Tennessee cows. They lay down, they have cows all year round. There you go. Not in the mud. Not in the mud. Well, uh, well, California cows probably need to come to Tennessee then, right? But you see the imagery here? So this place of Bashan would have been a place that the northern kingdom of Israel would have clearly known about as an illustration. Hey, he's calling us cows of Bashan. Wait a minute. Bashan is this place of plenty and, and, and lush and rich lands, and the cows are happy. Why are you making so much fun of us, God? It was an insult. God was very direct here. You know, God can be sarcastic and make a point with it, right? God can do this. That's what he's doing here. Um, it's almost as if this, here's what he's saying. and It's almost as if God is looking at them and he, he's, he, because remember chapter 4, this is a prophecy. It's kind of, you've got a foot in both places. You've got a foot in things that have happened and are happening, but also what will happen. Make sense? This is a prophecy. So it's not just you are doing these things, you have done these things. God is saying, I know you will continue this behavior. I know that this is who you will always be. Does that make sense? It's as if he's looking at them and, and, and it's, he, he sees how these great and, and really, you can use the language, great and pompous. The imagery is the women, but it's men too. It's the whole nation. Will I mean, they'll despise God's warnings. Because if you are a fat, happy cow, why should you worry about any problems? But when you read chapter 4, God is saying, here's what I'm trying to do to get your attention. But you're so fat and lazy and satisfied as a fat cow you won't pay attention to it. Y'all ever try to get a cow to move that doesn't want to move? John, you got... You, how many cows y'all got? You got a, a herd of 80? Okay, so if you've got a cow that is comfortable, are you going to get that cow to move? Uh-uh. Ain't going to happen. You see the point here? That's what God is saying. He's describing the northern kingdom of Israel this way. And Amos is speaking this. 
Can you imagine being this shepherd from Judah going to the rich, lavish uh, palace of Rehoboam II and speaking these words to him, how they would receive him? You see the further imagery here? Just like a lazy cow is not going to be moved, you rich, opulent, lazy people of northern kingdom of Israel, you're not going to move either. Even though my prophet Amos is speaking to you. Is any of this resonating with us? How many of us feel guilty? Can any of us resonate with Rehoboam and the lazy cows of Basham? See the point? It hasn't really changed. I mean, there's... Mm -hmm. um, how often do we need the proverbial kick to... Mm -hmm. Wake up. We should know is right. Amen. And do know. We do know, but we don't do it. But again, who is God saying this to? His chosen, beloved, covenant people. Another term for that? My elect. So this idea of the elect in Scripture, that's what we're talking... It begins here. Right? This is, the, this is part of the being God's chosen. It's not just the blessings and the wonderful salvation. It's also the accountability. We are held accountable. And God's doing that here, right? Now, let's drop down to verse, verse 2. Is that okay? The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you. Here's the future. When they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. I mean, this, this is an oracle of doom, isn't it? It's an oracle of doom. Here's what's coming to you. The first part of this oracle is doom, and it's expanding here. The second part of it in verses 16 and following, we're going to look at that deeper. It's God, he's recounting, what's actually verse 6 through 13. He now recounts, we'll get to that here in a second. But look here in verses 4 and 5. Actually, I mean, verse 2 and 3. Let's look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when, you shall when they shall take you away with hooks. He's talking about the Assyrians. There will come a day, you lazy cows of Bashan, that you will be drawn away with hooks. Now think about it. How difficult is it to move a heavy cow? Very difficult. How easy is it to hook a fish and fling it out of the water? Imagine God hooking the lazy cow and flinging it out of the water as easy as a fish. That's the imagery here. Now, it's the Assyrian army he's talking about. They will come and take you away. Now, think about this. If you are opulous and you're a lazy cow of Bashan, a female, is the imagery here, uh, what, would, what kind of imagery comes to mind with a woman who is living in the lap of luxury? Does she have a... What's that? I can't hear you. The Cardassians, <laughs> okay, the Cardassians. What's that? Obese, but jewelry, piercings, makeup, gold, grand dresses. Can you imagine being pierced with all of your jewelry, but the imagery is a fish hook will grab you and take you away into captivity? So literally, you could almost imagine your, your, uh, your addiction to the wealth, your worship of your extravagance, all of the piercings will be replaced with a fish hook. Now, why is that an issue? The Assyrian army was known in ancient history. If you read ancient history, the Assyrians were known for this. They were so aggressive against their captors when they came and conquered a place and they took people away in slavery and captivity, they would take in the ancient world a hook through the bottom of your 
jaw. Imagine this. Imagine a human being being hooked like a fish through the bottom of your jaw and then out of your mouth. And you are led into captivity that way in chains. Is that right? Good imagery? You think that we're cruel people in the 21st century when we have warfare. We don't have anything on the ancient people who knew how to fight. That's what they would do to the women. That's what they would do to the children. If any of the men were left alive, they took them too. That's how you would be taken away. With, like a fish hook through your jaw. On one, one day you're living in extravagance and opulence and rich wealth and laziness. And the very next day you are hooked through the jaw and taken away in captivity. That's what God is saying is coming. That's the warning. These are the wake-up calls that God is declaring to His people. Now, think, as I'm saying this, I'm looking on your faces and I see the, the agony and pain of just thinking about this. These, these folks were ignoring it. Yeah. It's a thousand-mile journey. A thousand-mile journey. From Samaria to Assyria. Did you all hear that? If you were being hauled off in captivity from Samaria to Assyria, it's a thousand-mile walk with a hook through your jaw. In chains. Would that be a wake-up call to you? If God said, this is coming to you because I love you. I want you to hear how serious I am. And the reaction is, oh well. You see the gravity here? You see the gravity? All right. Now, that's, that's kind of gross. It's a start. We're just starting. Again, these are God's wake-up calls to them in chapter 4. Right? Now, verse 4 and 5, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. What's God saying in verse 4 and 5? He's being real sarcastic to them about their love to worship. They worshiped where? They, wor they didn't worship in Jerusalem as God commanded them to be. Where, where was the northern kingdom worshiping? In Bethel, that was one place. In this other place, Gilgal. They had set up their own altars there. We don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship God. We can worship Him however we want. That sound familiar? And God is saying here, verse 4 and 5, go ahead and go to Bethel. Go ahead and go to Gilgal and take your offerings as you're accustomed to doing. But I will not be there. Can God say that to us? Can He say that to... Uh, the prosperity gospel churches. It's easy for us to pick on the gospel, the prosperity gospel churches, but can we fall into the same issue? Come and lead, come to your standard of worship and your habits, just like you're used to doing, everybody. But I won't be there. That's what he's telling them, right? And so he's going to move on. Um, I mean, he's disgusted. Really what he's saying here, verse 4 and 5, is God is showing his disgust with their distorted forms of worship. I mean, Bethel and Gilgal, these were areas that were historically known for pagan worship. And they had distorted that and said, well, we can worship God here as well. Remember back in 1 Kings chapter 12, that's where the first king Rehoboam set up false altars. And that's what... Apparently, in, throughout all of the minor prophets... God is kind of bringing that back up a lot, isn't he? <laughs> we saw that in Hosea. We saw that in Joel. You remember when you disregarded me and went and set up your own altars? That continues to be a theme throughout the prophets, doesn't it? He doesn't forget. He's not forgetting. Now, let's look here in verses 6 through 11. Now, we're looking at verses 6 through 11, I think, is God 
speaking through Amos and prophesying about the different time, the different things that will come. Here are the different wake up calls I'm bringing to you. He's going to he's talking about natural disasters. He's talking about social calamity that he will direct. And he's doing it to get their attention. But despite these natural disasters and despite these social calamities, God knows that Israel will not turn back to him. He's prophesying this. There's a repeated theme here. Look at verses 6 through 11. There's a repeated line. It's at the end of each of the, uh, of the declarations. You see that? Look here at the end of verse 6. What does it say right before it declares the Lord? What's that? Yet you, Yet you did not return to me. Do you see that line repeated in verse 6, verse 8, verse 9? Verse 10, verse 11. I'm doing all these things and you did not listen to me. Let's look here at verse 6. Let's let's read what they are. Um, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me. What does it mean, cleanness of teeth and lack of bread? Nothing to eat. If you don't have anything to eat, you don't have anything to stick in your teeth. You see the imagery? In other words, I brought famine to you, but you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 7, I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one day and send no rain on another day. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. How does that end in verse 8? Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He brought drought. And the timing here is very important. He withheld rain uh, three months to the harvest. Does anybody hear a farmer growed food? What, what if uh, three months before you're supposed to harvest it, you run out of rain? It'll wither. Crucial time. Yet you, will not re- yet you did not return to me, he says, declares the Lord. There used to be a time that when there was drought, the farmers would pray. Right? Look here in verse 9. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Do you remember, was it Joel that spoke about the locust plague? Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I mean, if, if pestilence comes, I mean, what, what happens? Are you so comfortable in your extravagance that even... Even famine doesn't phase you? See that? Verse 10. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. What's happening here? I mean... It's a, there's an uncertain time of what, when this happened, but apparently there was something that, like a pestilence and a war, much like what they experienced in the Exodus. Think about Israel. They were slaves at one time in, Israel, in Egypt, right? That was they, where they came from. God brought them up out of slavery in Egypt. They lived in Egypt and they worked in the Nile. There was a region in the northern part of the Nile, the northeastern part of the Nile, that was very swampy, and it was known to be disease-ridden. The Israelites were enslaved there. They would have had this in their history. Don't you remember how much of a bog it was and the, and the pestilence, that's disease and, fam, and, and, and disease, right? Disease and, and illness, right? It's disease-ridden. That's what pestilence is. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as, as a brand plucked out of the burning. You did not return to me. Therefore, verse 12, remember the therefores? 
Whenever you see therefore, what happens? <laughs> this is a conclusion, isn't it? Um, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now imagine God is just listed here through Amos. One, two, three, four, five disasters, calamities. Yet time and time again, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 12, therefore, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I mean, that's leading up to something. Repetition of reminder of disaster and calamity. Prepare to meet your God. Do you think they were ready? What was in their mind if they met God? What's that? Oh, we're covenant people. Oh, we're covenant people? I think there's some sarcasm here. Prepare to meet your God, but it's not going to be the way you think. Right? You were going to say something, Chad? Ah. And the judge reached the charge guilty. And then the next charge. Guilty. guilty. There you go. Oh, I love it. Guilty. I love it. Guilty. I love it. Y'all hearing that over here? That repetition of five charges. It's like the judge is reading out the judgment. Charge number one, guilty. Charge number two, guilty. Charge number three, guilty. Charge number four, guilty. Charge number five, Guilty. Are you feeling the weight of that language? Prepare to meet your God. After you hear the reading of five charges and judgments, would your attitude be, oh well, here it comes, or would your attitude be, well, we're covenant people. Thank you, Jesus. Right? These lazy cows of Bashan had the arrogance and the attitude, despite all of this, we're going to meet our God because He loves us. He's going to rescue us from all of this torture. But in Amos, God was leading them down the path of their charges of sin. They were, but, but again, they were wake-up calls. God sends these things to wake them up. By ignoring the wake-up calls, they're going to be led away in captivity to Assyria as God's judgment for them. Yeah, go ahead, Dalton. Delusion. Did catch on. Y'all hearing that? I'll try to say again. Yeah. Oh. Good. Did y'all hear that? After listing the five charges and the five punishments, it's almost here comes the final punishment, and that's me. Whoa. Now again, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his beloved, chosen people. The elect. I have elected you. I've called you. I've made you my own. He's not talking to the Assyrians. Now, remember in chapter 1, he does mention all the, the, the five nations or the seven, the seven nations surrounding. They all receive punishment for their failures, yes. But notice that now we're talking to Israel. They're getting the bigger chunk of this. All of these other surrounding nations that God condemns in chapter 1 are the ones who will bring this pestilence and these charges and this, and this disease and this pain upon you. And God is saying here at the end here in verses 11 and 12, I am the final judgment. I'm the final condemnation for you. Wow. I'm not, this, this is very sobering, isn't it? why a lot of people don't like the minor prophets. 
It's sobering. Maybe it's because when reading this word and, and listening to these prophets, we can't help but wake up to our own failures and, and ignorance of God. Our deafness not, and choosing not to hear him. Is this maybe pricking us sometimes? Maybe that's why we don't want to hear it. But God's doing this out of love. Right? Um, let's finish out here. I mean, 12 and 13. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Man, verse 13 describes who God is to a T, isn't it? Notice this. Behold, he who forms the mountains. Does God form the mountains? And creates the wind. But notice this. He who declares to man what is his thought. Do you have a different translation of that in verse 12? Or I mean verse 13. Does God declare to us what is our thought? Now that's poetic language. So if you are God's chosen people, and He declares to you what is your thought, and what is in your thoughts are not of Him, what does that mean? That we're not in tune with Him. That our thoughts are not His thoughts. We're not in His ways. Could also imply here as well, remember the arrogance of the cows of Bashan? The co- we're, we're God's covenant people. Is that God's thought? Yes, but it's distorted and it's not. So man's thoughts that are not God's thoughts are distorted thoughts. You ever thought, I mean, okay, I'm using that same, it's, it's kind of redundant. Have you ever thought about God giving you your thoughts? If you belong to Him, does He give you your thoughts? That'll keep you awake at night, won't it? Especially if what's in my mind I know is not in God's will. That God would be, that I would embarrass myself before God with that thought. Ooh, that'll get you, won't it? Is this good? I hope you go home and can sleep tonight. I really do. Um, I don't want this to keep you awake in worry. That's not the point of Amos. The point of Amos is not to make us feel so guilty that we stay awake at night worried. The point of Amos is God is saying, I'm calling you to wake up to me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel, they were really at this point beyond hope, and God knew it. We spoke about this, was it last Sunday or the Sunday before? Jesus knows whether your prayers are genuine before you pray them. Yeah. David says it's the same thing. Go ahead, we're at. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. You want to read it for us? Psalm 139. From the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. There you go. You comprehend my path and my my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, I know it all together. Amen. Wow. I'm sorry, you know it all yeah. together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Psalm 139. Right? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, did y'all hear that? Chelsea said this, this should also be comforting to know that God is bringing this to our attention to turn us back to Him. It should be comforting. But these lazy cows of Bashan in chapter 4, oh well. Neither comforting nor terrifying. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I mean, there are, of course, also verses about knowing the thoughts of men, but I think verse 13 is actually the his is referring to God's, God's thoughts. God's thoughts. Mm. Okay, well, I would agree with that too. Yeah, verse 13 in Amos 4. Uh, For he who declares to man what is his thought, it's God declaring what is God's ideas, God's thoughts. But it's both and, I think. Right, God declaring to us what we are to think about Him. Right? That's what we're meaning. Amen. Good. Alright. Has this helped tonight, I hope? Has this been helpful, edifying, or has it been crushing? Yeah, go ahead. You know, you, you just can see here, it's like, God says, I have done everything for you. And here, all you can think about is yourself. There you go. You don't give me any glory. You really don't care about me. And, yeah, that is the same problem today. Yeah. We have to change. And that's... Yeah. Yeah. That's we haven't. That's we're shuddered when we think. <clears throat> yeah. How likely we think. Let, if y'all didn't hear that, Paul was saying, it's as if God is reminding them, I've done all this for you, and you continue to forget me. You don't want me. That, and God has no other option but to respond this way. And, it's, and it hurt. It's, it's out of pain. It's not out of vengeance necessarily. It's out of pain. You belong to me, but you don't want me. Right? So this is where, um, and, and I'm going to close with this thought. The idea that we somehow have free will to want God we see evidence throughout the Old Testament that, that if that's the case, we will fail every single time. If it's up to us alone to want God, we will fail every single time, as evidenced in these prophecies. If it wasn't for God calling us and making us His own, we would never want Him. We would be lazy cows and content. That's not what he wants. Amen? So it means we can't sit and receive. We can't sit and receive. We have to do something. There is a responsibility on our part. We have a responsibility. Repentance. Right. Repentance. Following the call. Would you rather be called by God with gentleness and grace or be called by the Assyrians into captivity with a hook through your jaw? See, they, see how we're closing that out? I've never heard that. Yeah, that, I mean, his, ancient history shows ev- not just the Assyrians, but it was a very common practice from very vile armies of the day. The Assyrians were clearly known for that. And it mentioned in Isaiah too. Yep, it's also mentioned in Isaiah. Because Isaiah is talking about the, uh, the, the same exile eventually, right? Where the Nazis were turned. Yep. Well, even um, Jonah and Nineveh, the Ninevites were known for that too. That's that's why they hated the net. That's why you were scared of them. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, no, it just makes me think, though, like you say, that is our hope today. I think this in Jeremiah where it talks about the new covenant and how he will put um, his commandments in our heart, yeah. in our mind. Yeah. So he's fulfilling it for us. So we will walk in his ways. Amen. Because when we depend on ourselves, we become lazy. But if we depend on God doing this in us and making it us, making His ways in us, that's the greatest gift possible, isn't it? Amen. All right. Everybody okay? Y'all kind of mellow. Scared us all. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I couldn't help but think, and I don't know that I thought about this before tonight, but that phrase 
in verse 11, prepare to meet your God. Yeah. You were talking about that. Of course, what they were about to meet was Ashurbanipal, the Assyrian king. You know, you th- uh, the Assyrian kings, their names were scary. Sennacherib, the commander of the army, Rabshaki. I mean, if I just heard the name, I'd run. <laughs> <laughs> well, and God's kind of being sarcastic. Prepare to meet your God that you have chosen. It's not the one that you think is yours. Because right, they thought they were serving and honoring God correctly. But God's handing them over to the God they really serve. The Assyrian, pagan, evil gods. Wow. See that? Good point. All right. Thank you, guys. Has this been okay? Yes. All right. Go home go to sleep with peace. <laughs> Amen. Don't let... <laughs> Unless you got something to work out with God, according to Karina. Exactly right. If, if the Lord has you, needs you to work out something, stay up all night and work it out with Him. Going on Amen? But that's the intent of here, okay? God bless you guys. Good. Uh, Chad, would you close us in prayer, buddy? Thanks. Our Father, when we encounter texts like this, it does strike concern into our hearts because we know that even though we're here on Wednesday night, even with over the crowd that comes Sunday, even though we we know we've made progress in our spiritual lives, every one of us knows that there are dark corners of our heart Amen. that still have not been conquered by your spirit. Mm-hmm. Lord I pray you would conquer those yes. dark places. We may not be as destitute of you as the cows of Bethany, but Lord, we, we, we wander. We, we are prone to wander in the words of the hymn. But Lord, I feel it. I pray that tonight you'll remind us that by your Spirit and by your grace, we can be encouraged to walk with you and serve you. Thank you for our pastor for his faithfulness to your word, his faithfulness to you, his faithfulness in teaching us this word. Bless this church and these people who are here tonight throughout the rest of the week. I pray for the work that's being done. Thank you for those who are participating in that. And Father, go with us as we leave tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a sweet night. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Sunday. Uh, and again, keep alert on text. If we need to send out a mass, hey, come and help us clean or help us paint. Be looking for that in the next few days if you have time. Okay? Actually, I think April may be kind of leading the charge, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. All right? God bless you guys.